Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. My name's Jordan, and I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And it's just honestly a pleasure just to be up here with you this morning and to speak on this Thanksgiving weekend. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Uh, say it to your neighbors. Say it to people. Spread some cheer today. And uh, just want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to everyone who's here. Uh, we're just so thankful for each and every one of you who are a part of this community uh, known as Soul Sanctuary. And we just want to say thank you to start today. And so with Thanksgiving being the season, um, it shouldn't surprise you that in the life lesson, I'm going to go down that path today. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like to live a life of gratitude. What does it look like to live a life of thankfulness uh, to God, to each other, and, and maybe most, important, and, and most importantly for everything that God has blessed us with today. And so I'm just going to read a, a scripture quickly, uh, and then I'm going to open us with a, a word of prayer. But this is one of those scriptures I think that all of us can memorize. It's one of my favorite ones. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. And it says, Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a bit of a different translation on the screen that says rejoice always. But the idea is, is that we are people who should be thankful. It doesn't say that to be thankful for all circumstances, for all things that you go through, but it says to be thankful in them and in the midst of them. And uh, no matter where we find ourselves today, uh, we could pause for a moment today and be thankful uh, for things that God has blessed us with. And so before we uh, get into that this morning, let's pray. Um, thank you, Lord, just for this time. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, bless the word today. Uh, would you speak to us through it? Would you uh, really just uh, help us to search our hearts, Lord, when it comes to this whole idea of giving thanks to you and one another? And so I pray, Lord, that you would just keep us from what would be my opinion today, Lord. Give us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to get into this today. We're talking about what it looks like to live a life of gratitude. And I'll start just by illustrating from a book that was written a few years back. It was written by Dr. Robert Emons, and it was called Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier. And before he went on this study with this book, he used to call it the new science of happiness. But since doing this study, he has since changed his terminology to gratitude. And so in this book, Dr. Emons conducted a 10-week study that took four 111 random people and put them into three different groups over the course of a 10-week study. Why 411? I have no idea. I'm not the science guy. I'm not going to try to be the science guy. But, you know, he took 411 people, paired them off into three groups, and did a study through them. And so I'll, I'll explain the groups. In the first group, um, they were asked to write down anything that they were thankful for in their lives over the course of 10 weeks. So anything that came to mind, when they thought about what they were thankful for, they were told to write it down, journal it, and uh, reflect on it. In group two, the second group, those who were paired into the second group, they were asked to write down anything that upset them, that irritated them, that annoyed them, that made them a little bit angry over a 10-week period. And so for them, they were, they, they were told to focus on the things that bothered them over 10 weeks. And so they did that for 10 weeks straight. And for those in the third group, they were asked to write down anything that affected them for better or worse over the 10-week period. 
And so they did the study, and the results when they came back shouldn't surprise us, but they were interesting. Group three, the group that was asked just to write down anything that affected them for better or worse, actually noticed no change in their overall happiness through the process. They came through the 10-week period, and they felt kind of neutral about everything. Uh, they probably bounced the scales a little bit, right? They probably had some good things that made them happy, some things that made them a little bit upset. But group two, the group that focused on all the things that irritated them and upset them, actually became less happy than they had been prior to the study. And there were noticeable effects on how they became pessimistic, how they became kind of down on everything, how they became very critical about things. Um, focusing on all the negativity proved that it actually made these people less happy going forward. And for those in group one, the thankful group, they noticed incredible benefits from this process. They noticed an overall increase to their personal happiness. They were more optimistic than they'd been before they started this. They had less anxiety, they had less stress, and actually, uh, it, it had been documented that many of them, for many of them, they were able to sleep better at night because of this. And so there was just something about focusing on what they were thankful for, focusing on things that they can give thanks for, was able just to really just increase their happiness a lot in their lives. They also experienced an increase in empathy for other people, in relationship, and the quality of their relationships, they reported, were much deeper after they took 10 weeks and started to focus on what they were thankful for. Now, how many of us have ever done this before? I've had people in this congregation tell me that they've, you know, taken on a personal challenge every day to write down something that you're thankful for. And I think that it shouldn't surprise us that that would reap benefits in our lives. Because it's so easy for us sometimes to get caught up on the things that, that, that affect us negatively, on the things that irritate us, on the things that upset us. But there's something about pausing in life and reflecting on the things that you're thankful for. And that's, to me, what a weekend like Thanksgiving brings in our culture. It gives us that opportunity just to relax, pause, slow down, and express thankfulness. You see, gratitude and expressing thankfulness seems to play a key role to experiencing happiness from Dr. Eamon's study. But it's going to take some intentionality in order to walk this life of gratitude out because there's so much in our Western culture that I believe encourages us to do the opposite. It doesn't necessarily push us towards this. So much of our, you know, advertising, our commercials rests on people's discontentment rather than resting on their contentment. It really does work by the thought of us wanting to get more, and they want us to desire more, or, you know, advertising wants you to wish for more rather than being thankful for what you already have. I heard it said before that if people began being intentional about being thankful and about being content, it would actually have a serious hit. Our, our economy would take a serious hit if this were to happen. Because the thrust of advertising, the thrust of pulling us into new products is to help us to feel that thrust, that, just that, that, that desire in our hearts that we need that. If we just have that, then maybe we'll be happy. And it makes sense to me because our culture and world we live in is constantly screaming at us to focus on what we don't have. Focus on what you don't have rather than what you do have. If you just buy fill in the blank, then you will feel fill in the blank. And it's just this idea that you need this. And it, it really, uh, really in, in a sense, really pushes us to focus not on what we have, but on what we don't have. The pull, of, the pull is not towards our gratitude and contentment, but it's towards our insecurities and our lack of contentment, if I could say it like that. And when you think about it, this shouldn't be a far-fetched kind of stretched truth. This kind of is what happened in Genesis chapter 3 um, at the fall of man when you think about it. 
You see, the serpent tricked Adam and Eve into focusing on what they didn't have rather than having them focus on all that they'd had, that all that God had blessed them with in that moment, right? You know, you can eat from every tree in this garden, but you can't have this one. Is God withholding this from you? Right? It's this idea of getting us to focus on what we can't have rather than what we do have. And I wonder if we as people still get stuck in that rut, that same rut today. You see, most of us, all of us in this room have so much that we could just slow down, pause, and be thankful for today. But often we fail to do that because we get so focused on what we could have and what we want and and, and sometimes even more so what we don't have. And this can lead us into all sorts of different emotions, such as ingratitude, such as entitlement, such as, you know, just frustration, envy, jealousy, etc. It can all come out of us when we're focusing on the wrong stuff. And you see, Scripture is clear that each of us has reasons to not only feel thankful and be thankful, but to also give thanks today. And no more clear is this tension between feeling thankful and expressing it properly made than in a story in the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bible this morning or your phone, or if you want to turn to the screen, this is going to be our text, our story that we kind of stick in this morning. Luke chapter 17, it's a story of Jesus healing, and uh, let's begin to read it. It says, and now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked them. And he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus asked the question, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And so there's a lot of things going on in this story. This is one of those stories where you could just read it, take it at face value, and you would get the general point. You'd get exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate here uh, to the crowd and to those listening, to those reading. But there's also a lot going on in the background here that I think it really benefits us to look at this morning if we're going to properly, you know, kind of receive everything that we need to receive from this passage. And so to start with, there's two levels of cultural tension that are happening and at work in this story. Number one, lepers were culturally isolated. In verse 12, it said they stood at a distance. They didn't even approach Jesus. Now, why would they do that? Well, there's a reason why they did that. The reason why they stood at a distance and didn't approach Jesus is because there was a social stigma in that society. Lepers were banned and separated from society. There was such a fear about this incurable disease that in order to protect anyone from catching it or anyone from coming into contact with these people, you had to get rid of the people who had it from society. And it went even further than that. Uh, Should someone get close to a person who had leprosy, the leper had to yell out the words, unclean, to notify them that they should not approach them. 
And so from people, they stood at a distance. Some commentators suggest it even went further than that. Some of them had to have like a bell or something on them where they would ring it should people get close enough. And they say to them, unclean, unclean, meaning don't come near me because I have leprosy. I have something that you can catch that won't be good for you. And so lepers were cut off from society. And not only were they cut off from society, but they also were experiencing guilt trips to an extent from the religious leaders at the time. You see, the religious leaders would often accuse them of having sin issues, and that's why they were the way they were. And it was a messy, it was an ugly scene for them. And I know even in our culture, we still sometimes experience attacks like that, and it's, it's so far from the truth, but that's what was happening here to these lepers. The second level of cultural tension was the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a group that were despised by Jewish people, which is why Jesus refers to this man as a foreigner. You see, Jews despised the Samaritans because of their religious defection, because of their religious beliefs that they held, but also it was because of their mixed race. And so we did, in fact, have racism playing a role here in how the Jewish people treated the Samaritans. And both groups were rejected and, in some cases, outcasted from society. And so we have these two levels of cultural tension at play in the background here. And yet it's the outsider. Here's the interesting part about the story. It's the foreigner who's cast in a good light in this story. Which, you know, would really, if you're in the original audience and you're hearing this, this would probably shock you. This would probably offend you. <laughs> this would probably be that moment in the story that you weren't expecting to happen. You weren't expecting it to go down that way. But we must remember that in Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel always has a high view of outsiders. And the reason for that is because Luke in his gospel was written primarily to a Gentile audience, as were Matthew and Mark wrote to a Jewish audience. And so Luke was always writing about Jesus and his encounters and the way he treated those who would be considered, quote unquote, outsiders or foreigners. Secondly, another thing that we see happening here is that as a leper, they're getting back more than their health. And we can't miss this here. A leper is getting back more than their health here. And so this story holds great significance because these men didn't just need healing from a disease. These men needed healing from a social condition that they lived in. All right? They didn't just need healing from the sickness that they held, but they needed healing from the loneliness, from the rejection, from being thrown out of society, from being ripped apart from their families, from being ripped apart from their loved ones, from not being able to work anymore, not being able to provide. It was a lonely, lonely existence that they found themselves in. And so it wasn't just healing from the, from the disease that they were going to experience, but they were going to get their stigma removed. And so they perhaps would get their old life back. They'd get people back. They'd be able to hug loved ones again. They'd be able to go back to work. They'd be able to socialize among the greater community. And this was huge, what was happening. Their life was about to be turned upside down by what Jesus was doing in this story. And so we can't forget that for, that for the lepers, this wasn't just about the sickness. Even though it was about that, it was about so much more that was happening in the background. Third point is this need to show yourself to a priest. And so Jesus, when he tells them to go, he tells them to go and show themselves to a priest. And so why does he say that? Well, he says that because in the Old Testament, um, under the Old Testament law, says that if a person had a disease that caused them to be on the outside of a town or the outside of a camp or city to live, it was because it was a disease that was contagious and that can hurt other people around them. 
And once the disease went away and the person got well and healed, they had to go to a priest and they had to show themselves to the priest. And the priest essentially had to give them a clear bill of health, right? I don't know what that would have looked like. Maybe you go to the priest and he goes, okay, looks good, right? Say, ah, right? I have no exactly idea how the particulars of that's going to look like. But the priest would declare the person healed. And then once they get that clean bill of health, they were allowed back into society. And so it was the law that you had to show yourself to the priest. The problem was that these guys had leprosy, all 10 of them. And so for these men, in order to re-enter society, they'd have to make a journey, no matter how far the priests were, and get that restriction lifted from their lives of being known as unclean. And fourthly, one thing we can't forget, I think, in the background of this story, the fourth point I want to make about the background is that this really, really, really was an expression of faith from these lepers, wasn't it? It really was an expression of faith. In verse 14, it says, And as they went, as they went, they were healed, but they had to step out first. They had to make the initial move to go towards the priest. I don't want to just skip over the faith part here. Think about it. To actually take Jesus at his word here and begin the journey towards the priest was a step of faith. You know, to trust that this wasn't going to get us in trouble, if we show up there in front of the priests and we are not healed in that moment, there are going to be issues happening. Because you are supposed to stay away from society. You are banned from society. You're not supposed to be anywhere near the priest, especially. And so there really was this step of faith that they trusted Jesus at his word, and they walked out, and they went towards the priest, and they showed themselves to him. So we must not forget in this story the faith that they demonstrate at taking Jesus' word here. And so the scripture says that they listened to Jesus' words, and they went and showed themselves to the priests. But what we really don't know is how long this journey was going to be. You know, we often read something like this and we think, well, the priest is just around the corner, right? Uh, jump in a cab, you know, we get there in five minutes, we're going to be okay. But we don't know if this took a day. We don't know if this, this, this trip took an hour. Maybe this, this trip took weeks. Who, who knows how long this trip was going to take to get to the priest? We don't know the exact specifics of what priest they went to. But what we do know is at some point along the way, these ten men realized that we have been cleansed. We have been healed. Somewhere along that journey, it, it, it became painfully obvious to them that we're healed. We've been made well. And the text says that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus. And this is where the story starts to intersect with ingratitude. We have ten men on their way to the priests, wanting to get their life back, experiencing this miraculous thing, certain to get their place back in society. And first things first, they need to get a clean bill of health from the priest. But in the midst of this amazing thing that's happened, one of them stops, turns around. We don't know if he traveled miles. We don't know if he traveled for days. We don't know how long it was. But one of them turns around, comes back to Jesus, praising God in a loud voice. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he thanks him. And, and to top it all off, he's a Samaritan. He's the one, he's the least likely person who would do this in the eyes of the Jewish people. Right? The religious crowd that day wouldn't have expected too much from this Samaritan. If anything, they would have thought this man was disqualified from the work of God because of what he believed and because of who he was. And yet the Samaritan's the one who comes back to give praise. And it's the Samaritan in this story who's commended for his behavior. 
And this wasn't just some minor change. It's not like he was handled, like, you know, some Tylenol here and things were made better for the afternoon. This was a complete healing and a complete change of life that was happening. And he comes back to say thank you. And so essentially, if I could say it like this this morning, this person went back to thank the one who enabled him to move forward with his life. He went back and thanked the one who enabled him to move forward with his life. And I want us to remember that this morning because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But he got his life back and he went right back to, the one, to thank the one who enabled this whole thing to happen. And that just seems like the right thing to do, doesn't it? I think most of us would agree. When we read through this story, that just seems like the right thing to do. you got this amazing healing. You're cleansed. You're going to get your life back. The, the, the most logical thing we could do is go back and say thank you. I think we read this story and it's easy for us to think, well, of course you'd go back to someone who did this for you, who enabled you to move forward, who helped you move towards a future that wasn't there you know, just yesterday. But the truth is, is that for, for us today in this room, no matter what we've accomplished, no matter how disciplined we are, no matter how many talents, gifts, and abilities we all possess, all of, this, all of us in this room this morning can look back in the rearview mirror of our lives. And when we do that, we're going to see people who helped us get to where we are today, aren't we? We're going to see people along the journey who helped us get from there to here where we are today. People who have helped us move forward in life. People who have given wisdom. People who have invested in our future in our progress, in our success, and all of us have people behind us that have helped make what we are doing now possible. That's all of our story. We could all look back. We could all give thanks. Each one of us has a story about where we are today and where we were back then. And, and what we're going to find if we look back in those stories is we're going to find people. We're going to find people who've helped us, people who've invested in us, people who believed in you when you didn't even believe in yourself. That's what we're going to find when we look back. All of us have people in our lives for whom we are in a debt of gratitude towards, don't we? We all have these people. And in this story that we're talking about, that we're looking at this morning, we have a man who returns to thank the one who allowed him to move forward in his life, to go ahead into something different. And this led to the question that Jesus asked, which explains the tension between gratitude and ingratitude in this story. And that question's in verse 17. And Jesus says, were not all ten of them cleansed? Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where are the others? You know, when, I, when, when, when Jesus poses the question like this, when I think about this in my own life, when I apply this story to my life personally, it raises some questions, but it raises the thought that is it possible to be so self-involved that when God in the flesh gives you what you think you most need, you don't even notice it? And it doesn't even occur to you to go back and say thanks. Thanks. And in this story, what we're finding out here when Jesus says this, we're not all ten cleansed, where are the other nine? We're finding that something is incomplete, something is unfinished, something is open-ended about this scene. It hasn't been completed. You know, there should have been ten people coming back here, but yet there's one. You know, and I think we all know this feeling of incomplete, we all know this feeling of unfinished, this open-ended when it comes to gratitude. 
And I think most of us experience this for the first time when we're kids. When we're kids and we're at an event and perhaps we're waiting in line, perhaps we're waiting to see Santa Claus, right? Christmas is coming soon. Who's excited? You guys are laughing at me now, okay? <laughs> but you're waiting, in, you're waiting in line somewhere. You're at an event, and all of a sudden, someone is giving out candy to kids, and everyone's riding, right? It's just, just fantastic. You can't wait to get a candy. And so they come up to you, and they give you a candy, which as a kid is like winning the lottery, right? You're just absolutely stoked that someone thought about, you know, thought it upon themselves to bring you a candy. But before you unwrap it, if your parent or your adult who's with you stops you and asks you this question. Now, what do you say? <laughs> and we ask, what do you say? Because every adult in that moment knows that there is something unfinished. There is something incomplete. There is something that is yet to be done in order for this transaction, if you will, in order for it to be right. Before you do anything else, you're supposed to say the words, Thank you, right? And I have a daughter now who's two, and so, you know, I have these interesting moments now when she's given something, and I try to wrestle a thank you out of her, right? She'll get better. It'll happen. Because if you don't express your gratitude, every adult knows that something feels wrong. Something's missing. Something needs to happen. Something was supposed to happen that didn't happen in this situation. And we know this to be a big deal. And we know that this isn't the way things are supposed to be. And when it's our kids, it's a very big deal, and we want to see them show respect, and we want to see good manners, and we want them, you know, to say thank you when they're given something. And it's a big deal when it comes to how we deal with our kids. This becomes a big deal for adults when we're dealing with people who are much younger than us. But as adults, let me flip the script here. When we begin to think about our relationships with one another and with people who we really, really do appreciate people we really do love, people who have helped us in our progress and helped us move forward in life because of their investment in our lives. Sometimes, and maybe more often than we want to admit, sometimes we miss this, don't we? This simple idea of thank you. Thank you for your investment in my life. Thank you for doing that for me. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for the things that you have given me in order that I could be where I am today. And we too sometimes forget, don't we? And so what do you say in these moments, right? When there's still something missing, when there's still something finished, unfinished, sorry, when there's still something that has yet to be complete. You know, as adults, we almost panic or we get embarrassed or upset when our kid misses this or when our kids miss this, right? But when it comes to ourselves, is it sometimes easier for us to just keep on moving and maybe forget? You see, Thanksgiving isn't just something that we should think about on Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving is something that's going to affect our relationships, that is affecting your relationships right now, whether you're even aware of it or not. Thanksgiving isn't just a once-a-year thing. Thanksgiving is an everyday thing. And so in verse 18, Jesus asks us the question, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. 
And so reading this story, it's easy, you know, that our immediate reaction is almost like a parent who sees a kid accepting the candy, eat it, and just take off and peace out of there without saying thank you. You know, we get upset. We think, how could you? How could you behave this way? How could you do this? You know, there's, you know, there's guidelines to how you finish this transaction. And so our reaction to these men can be how ungrateful of these guys. You know, these guys just got their health back. But even more, they got their lives back. They got people back. They got some sense of normal living back, and they just go on their way without even acknowledging Jesus. How ungrateful. Easy for us to think that way. But then again, we don't actually know how these guys felt in the moment, do we? When you think about it, we really don't know how they felt in the moment. What if we were to go back and track them down and ask them about it? Now, I know we can't do that, you know, actually right now, but let's just entertain this thought for a second. You know, there's a decent chance that these guys could be praising God. They could be singing songs. They could, they could have feelings of thanksgiving going on in their hearts and in their lives right now at this point in the story, not, not today. You know, are you guys thankful for what Jesus did for you? And they may say, of course, you know, this is unreal. We are beyond grateful for what Jesus has done in our life. We are so thankful. It's not unreasonable to think that they might answer that way. But the problem is, and this is where they miss it. When it comes to the other nine, yes, there's a good chance that they likely felt it. They likely felt thanksgiving. But what they didn't do is they didn't express it. They likely felt it, but they failed to express it. You see, they were just going to move on with their lives. And, you know, is that such a big deal just to go on and go on with things? It could take us two days to get back there. Is that a big deal? Well, Jesus thought so. Jesus seemed to think it was. And this is a principle that I've heard taught before, and it's something that will affect our relationships, either for positive or for negative. It's playing out in our lives right now, whether we recognize it or not, and it's just this, that unexpressed gratitude will communicate ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude will communicate ingratitude, even if we don't mean it to. In other words, the gratitude and thankfulness that you feel in your heart and your mind is also something that can be felt by the other person, but maybe they feel it in the opposite way that you do. Because if it's not, if it's not expressed to the other person, what they're going to feel and what they're going to experience is ingratitude. Like you don't care. Like you aren't thankful. You know, if only people could read our minds. Anyone? Right? It's that old saying, well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know, maybe we don't want that to happen. But it's that old saying that, you know, it's easy to judge people, you know, by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions, but by how we know how we feel about things. And so you could feel one way about someone else, and yet they can get a completely different signal from you. Because what you feel and don't express is felt by other people as perhaps the very opposite of what you actually feel. So we could be so thankful, we could be happy, we could be full of joy, we could just appreciate someone, and yet they don't feel what we are feeling. In fact, they, sometimes they can experience the opposite. And this is why we often misunderstand conflicts in our relationships. Think about it. Have you ever been in a close friendship, a close relationship, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a friend, maybe with a significant other, and you thought things were going great, and you thought life was rolling smooth, and then all of a sudden... You're being told by the other person 
I just feel like you don't appreciate me. Any, anyone been there before, right? Don't have to raise hands, okay? But things are going fine, right? Things are going great, and all of a sudden, you know what? I just don't feel like you appreciate me. Or I feel like you take me for granted. And you're sitting there wondering, like, what? Where would you ever get that from? Where would you ever get that idea? Of course I appreciate you. You see, our first reaction when being told something like this is usually to get a bit on the defensive side, isn't it? <laughs> and we say things like, you know, of course I'm grateful for you. Of course I appreciate you. And everything that you do, I appreciate it so much. How can't you see that? And it's true that when someone says to you, I think you're ungrateful, and you know that you're ungrateful, usually the disconnect is just this, is that the feelings are not being expressed. You might feel a certain way, but you're not expressing what you feel. Whether we like it or not, gratitude and ingratitude will have a great effect on our relationships. In a lot of real ways, they drive the direction and health of our relationships. They determine how much of yourself you're willing to entrust to someone and vice versa. How much the other person is willing to entrust themselves to you. And because many of us just go on our merry way and, you know, we kind of think to ourselves, everything's just fine when in fact it isn't, this is why this is so important for us that we stop and slow down and express what we feel to one another. This is why sometimes we can be in relationships with other people, right? And we think everything's great and all of a sudden you hear that, that charge come against you. I, I, I feel like you take me for granted. I feel like you're, you're not appreciative of me. You see, the disconnect here lies in the fact that even though you may feel gratitude inwardly, you did not express your gratitude outwardly. And therefore, it communicated the opposite of what you actually feel, whether you were aware of this or not the whole time. You see, unex unexpressed gratitude will communicate ingratitude. Did you thank your wife this past week? Well, she knows I love her. You know, she just knows these kind of things. Did you thank your mom this week? Well, you know, that's my mom. My mom knows how thankful I am about everything. Did you thank your coworker this past week? Well, you know, they know how much we appreciate each other in the office. But do they? Do they? Has it been expressed? Have they ever been told? You see, the danger here, when we talk about gratitude and we apply it to our relationships, lies in the fact that you could actually feel thankful for somebody, and at the same time, by not expressing it, you could actually communicate the opposite. You can communicate rejection. You can communicate a lack of thought. You could take, communicate that you take them for granted, or that you just take, you take, you take, when in fact, that might not be how you feel at all, but it's what you communicate by not expressing we need to express what we feel. It's not simply enough to feel it. You've got to express it. You know, sometimes we need to take it a bit deeper. And I think we need to ask ourselves the question, why don't we express gratitude? Or even tougher, why is it so difficult for us to express gratitude? You see, if gratitude's difficult for you to express, if it's difficult for us to express, then we need to ponder why that is. What's keeping us from expressing gratitude to people? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it just plain neglect? 
Are we maybe a little too self-focused that we don't take time, slow down, and think about the people around us? I'm not accusing anyone of us, but these are just good things for us to think about and to consider when we ponder this. You see, each of us knows that we are who we are and where we are because of others who've played a role in our lives, because of people who've pushed us forward and helped us become who we are. So gratitude should be a natural part of that process, expressing it, saying thank you, and not being like that kid who just eats the candy and, you know, takes it and walks away. You know, because of where we are today, all of us in this room have reason to go back and say thank you and express our gratitude to someone. And here's another thought I'll share this morning. Unexpressed gratitude should cause us to look inward. Unexpressed gratitude should cause us to to really search our hearts and, and really find out why is it that we're not good at saying thank you or expressing our gratitude to people. You see, the psalmist prayed this prayer in Psalm 139. This prayer, you know, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do we take time to allow God to search our hearts and show us things that perhaps are preventing us from living a life of love and thanksgiving? If not expressing gratitude leaves things feeling kind of unfinished, then expressing gratitude does the opposite. It makes things feel complete. It makes things feel right. It makes things feel like the one who returned. You know, where are the other nine, Jesus asked. Something is unfinished. Something is incomplete. Something is missing. And yet the one returns to express gratitude and expressing gratitude, not just in their hearts, not just in their minds, but express gratitude seems to make things complete. Something happens when they receive something from you in response to the good that perhaps they've done for you. And so it makes sense to me that the pages of Scripture are full of passages and they're full of stories and they're full of talk about gratitude and giving thanks and being thankful and maybe, you know, more importantly, being content in everything and what we're blessed with. Jesus clearly knew that something was missing from the other nine. Now, Scripture doesn't say any more about them. You know, some of us wonder, well, what happened to them? Well, we don't know. Scripture doesn't say that they were disciplined later or that they were, you know, they lost their cleansing or they were tracked down and this and that or that they were lectured. Scripture doesn't tell us any of that. The Scripture, I believe, speaks to us today that we need to choose ourselves to be the one who comes back to God and says thanks. We need to be the one who chooses to come back to those whom we are in relationship with and thank them for what they've done in our lives. We need to be the one who chooses to go back to people who've had a great impact upon you. When you tell your story, maybe they come up, and maybe you've never gone back and said thank you. Will we be the ones who go back and give thanks? Because bottom line, when it, comes to ingra- when it comes to gratitude, when it comes to being thankful, it's not just enough to feel it. Feeling it's great. Feeling it is awesome. But you have to go one step further. You have to express it. And you have to let people know the impact that they've made upon your life. 
And this may look different for each one of us. You know, I'm not suggesting that we all have to be excited and giddy about it, right? I'm not, excite, I'm not suggesting that there's a certain way we go about this. We might go about it with different emotion or different types of energy. But what we all need to do with this, I believe, is that we need to express it. We need to express our gratitude, especially with those who are closest to you. Whose relationship with you is most important? Because gratitude will affect that relationship, whether we're aware of it or not. And when we either express gratitude or we don't express gratitude, we're, we're either communicating love or acceptance, or we're communicating rejection or taking someone for granted. There's two ways of doing it. And so even as we gather here this morning, this is being played out in our lives, whether or not we're even aware of it, whether or not we see it. And so let me ask a question. Have you figured out a way to be in the habit of expressing your gratitude to other people? Have you figured out a way just to pause and slow down in this busy world that we live in and write down or ponder or say all the things that you're thankful for? Focusing on what you have and not simply on what you don't have and giving praise to God for all the many blessings that he's bestowed on your life today? Are you going to be the one or are you content just to be one of the other nine? Because Jesus really commanded the one. Gratitude that is not expressed communicates in gratitude. It's not enough to feel thankful, but we have to express it by being thankful. You see, N.T. Wright, in his commentary on the book of Luke, underneath this passage, and I'm kind of going to give him the last word on this, he says this, he says, We know with our heads, if we have any Christian faith at all, that God is the giver of all things. Every mouthful of food we take, every breath of air we inhale, every note of music we hear, every smile on the face of a friend, a child, a spouse, all that and a million things more are good gifts from his generosity. There is an old spiritual discipline of listing one's blessings, naming them before God and giving thanks. It's a healthy thing to do, especially in a world where we too often assume we have an absolute right to health, happiness, and every possible creature comfort. Like right Makes the point pretty good. So I think we have to slow down and we have to ask ourselves some questions. But I want to caution something about a talk like this because I think sometimes, you know, with a talk like this, it is possible, okay, I'm not, I'm not accusing anyone, but it is possible that there could even be people sitting beside each other this morning who are sitting there in the back of your, their heads saying, well, thank goodness he's hearing this today, right? I know that laugh. I know that laugh, right? <laughs> funny, funny, yeah. It's possible that there are people sitting beside each other, and you think that, and then for some of us, there's going to be this temptation sort of to be like, you know what, maybe I'll, you know, get back to this thank you stuff in two weeks, so it doesn't look like I only did it because the pastor said it this morning, right? Don't do that, okay? <laughs> Express your th gratitude to those who need it now. Do it now. Don't let pride get in the way and stop you from that. Don't, don't wait for it to be your own idea. It wasn't your own idea anyways, right? So don't wait for that. But express gratitude to one another. On this Thanksgiving weekend, I believe this is what Jesus is calling us to as a community. I believe this is what Jesus calls us to as believers, that we, not, we need not be people who just feel gratitude, who could just well up with it, but that we express it to one another today. And so who do you, here's a question, take for granted? You know, that person, of course, that's what he's supposed to do. Or, of course, dinner's supposed to be here, right? Sorry, that might be too close to home here. 
You know, he's my boss. That's what he's supposed to do. Or what do you take for granted today? What are some things that maybe you just need to pause and slow down and go back to God and give thanks for? Who has helped facilitate you moving forward in life? Who are those people in your life that every time, like I said earlier, you tell your story, you mention them, but maybe you have never actually gone back and said, thanks. Maybe this is your time. Maybe this is when you need to do it. Who do you owe a debt of gratitude to this morning? What is complete? What is incomplete? Sorry, what is undone? Who do you need to thank today? Who are you grateful for in your heart? Who needs to, to see it, though, in your behavior and in your words? Who needs to hear it from your lips? Who has greatly impacted your life and played a key role in your life's progress? All questions that we need to ask ourselves. And so I leave this with us this morning. Are you content to be like the other nine? Or will you be the one that is commended in this story? Do you want to be the one? And you know what? I believe with all my heart. I know you do. I think it's in you, and I think it's in me. We want to do this, right? But sometimes we just kind of don't stop, and we don't think, and we don't realize it. And, you know, sometimes we just need to shine a light on our hearts and allow ourselves to be those people who could show gratitude. And so here's something I'm going to leave with you. If you don't do it, I'm not offering any guilt to anyone this morning, but here's just a challenge for us today as we leave. Who can you reach out to this week, this weekend, today even? Who is someone you could reach out to and thank? Who can you call? Who can you sit down with? And when you do it, don't be sarcastic. Be, be, be heartfelt. When you do it, make sure that you don't, you know, j just say words that are just clever, but think about it before you say it, right? And please don't offer like any like sort of like rebuttal in the middle of your thanks, okay? Because that never goes good, okay? Here's what I know about every one of you. You are grateful in your heart. We're all grateful, but the question is this morning, and I leave this with you, have you expressed it to the people around you? Because unexpressed gratitude is felt and experienced just like in gratitude. It's not enough to feel it. You have to express it. And so in the midst of this Thanksgiving weekend, would you be willing to reach out to people in your life? Would you be willing to sit before God today and just spend some time thanking him and thanking others? It's a challenge I leave with you today. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word today, Lord, that it has power to just to challenge us and just to help us become more like you. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you, you just you push us towards Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for this morning. Thank you for every blessing that you've given to each one of us today. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of each person who's sitting in one of these chairs today. And we give thanks. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts this morning. Point out the people in our lives who maybe, Lord, maybe we've, we've neglected and we haven't even realized it. Point out the people in our lives who have helped us move forward, who have who've helped us move um, Further in our future, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to express gratitude to them this week. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts and just guide and direct us today. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll ask everyone to stand this morning. And I'm just going to end with a little Thanksgiving blessing today. Uh, I really do hope you have an awesome week. And I hope the word was challenging and encouraging to you today. And uh, enjoy turkey, pumpkin pie, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles if you're anything like me, okay? Uh, it's going to be a good couple days here.
But uh, in ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands. And if you'd like a blessing this morning, um, just extend your hands. And uh, here it is. May the greatness of God's love and the abundance of his riches shape your perspective on your own life and needs. May the eyes of your heart be open to all the blessings which surround you. May this awareness produce a harvest of generosity in your spirit. May thankfulness rise up within you, not during this short season, but day after day, from the early morning watch until you retire for the night, may you express it with love. May your prayers reflect gratitude while also acknowledging the needs of others whose situations are so drastically different. And may the thoughts of Jesus fill your mind and hunger for God drive your soul. And may your love for the Lord your God guide your speech and actions today. Be thankful. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. And enjoy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you all.